Join us for a night of fine dining and entertainment as we announce the 2022 40 Under 40 winners. Running since 2002, the 40 Under 40 Awards program continues to recognise 40 of the state's leading entrepreneurs, innovators and future business leaders under the age of 40. Help us celebrate the exceptional young business achievers that are defining the future of our great state. Tickets available now at businessnews.com.au slash events. Good afternoon and welcome to At Close of Business, a daily podcast hosted by Business News. While investment in film and television projects may not be top of mind for many in a resources-rich state like Western Australia, today journalist Madeline Stevens discusses why the storyline is slowly changing, as well as the new private players who are funding films here in WA. But first, here's the news you need to know today. WA has recorded 213 locally acquired cases of COVID overnight as the state government unveiled its new registration system for critical workers. In a press conference this morning, Premier Mark McGowan confirmed there had been 224 new cases within the past 24 hours, 11 of whom were returned interstate travellers. The figures take the total number of active cases in WA to 1,178, with two infected patients currently in hospital. The news comes after WA Health revealed yesterday that it was co-managing two COVID cases in Jamieson, a remote Aboriginal community east of Kalgoorlie. The cases, both of whom are now in isolation, prompted the lockdown of the 50-person community as contact tracers sought to identify close contacts. The latest surge in cases coincides with the reintroduction of public health measures in six separate regions, including Perth, Peel, the South West, Great Southern, Wheatbelt and the Pilbara. Those measures include capacity limits on home gatherings and private outdoor events, as well as the reintroduction of the two-square-metre rule for hospitality and entertainment venues. It comes as the state government launched its new furloughing registration system for those deemed critical workers in a bid to prepare the state for a very high caseload environment. Employers will be expected to register their critical workers with isolation exemptions for asymptomatic workers to address potential workforce shortages and safeguard supply chains. And in other news, the federal government has revealed the likely cost breakdown of major upgrades to the Armidale rail line, with the combined cost increasing to nearly $2 billion. The Byford Rail extension is estimated to cost $885 million, according to the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communications. The Victoria Park Canning Level Crossing removal is estimated to cost nearly $1.1 billion. But the figures go beyond the limited disclosure by the state government, which said yesterday that the overall cost of the two projects would be near to $2 billion. The state government said final costs would be announced once construction contracts had been awarded. Transport Minister Rita Safiotti also announced yesterday that the Armidale line would close for 18 months to accommodate the planned upgrades. The closure would commence in the first quarter of 2023, which means the major works are still a year away. Despite this, the government has been claiming since November 2020 that the Byford Rail extension was already underway. The Byford Rail extension was originally estimated to cost $481 million and the main construction contract was meant to be awarded last year. 
And Southwest MP James Haywood has indicated he will plead not guilty to a string of child sex abuse charges just one week after vowing to continue in his role as a Member of Parliament. In a brief appearance in Perth Magistrates Court this morning, Mr Haywood's lawyer Amanda Blackburn revealed he intended to plead not guilty and sought to amend his over-the-top bail reporting conditions to better accommodate his parliamentary duties. The amendments approved by Magistrate Stephen Heath included the removal of the requirement to report on Wednesdays and over the weekend. Mr Haywood's bail was extended, with the matter now scheduled to go to a state committal hearing on April 4. Mr Haywood has remained tight-lipped since November last year, after WA Police revealed the 52-year-old Southwest MP had been charged with multiple child sex abuse offences, including three counts of indecent dealing with a child under the age of 13. The allegations are understood to relate to an incident involving an eight-year-old girl in early 2021. The plea comes just one week after Mr Haywood claimed bowing out of his parliamentary role would send a message that any person in public office could be axed over an untested allegation. Despite formally resigning as a member of the Nationals WA in December, he made a brief appearance at Parliament House late last year, allowing him to avoid being found in contempt of Parliament, retain his seat and keep his parliamentary pay packet. We'll be right back. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. It's always fascinating business finding out how movies make their way to screens. Sometimes even the most awful ones, I'm left wondering who's paying for this rubbish. Uh, but you took a less cynical look at this in our latest issue, Maddie, and you wanted to find out how films in Western Australia get to screen. Can you tell me what you found out in your research? Sure. So this story came about because I personally was... Uh, genuinely quite interested in where films in WA got their money from and this thought uh, coincided with a few changes in the industry so I thought that now would be a great time to look at it. So recently Olivia Humphreys and Deanne Weir have started Storied Group uh, which is a private film fund and they are putting money towards uh, stories told by women and they're quite interesting because they're really looking at transforming the film funding game in WA and really setting up a path for movies to find private investment. They're also really hoping to set an example for Australian films. They want to show that our films can be a valid thing to invest in and can provide returns, which historically hasn't really been the case, unless you invested in Crocodile Dundee. 
Storied are also looking at working with producers in the early stages of their projects to make sure that they're thinking commercially from the very beginning. So they want the uh, producers and filmmakers to really be thinking about their audience, who they're producing it for and where they could possibly go for funding and ensuring they get the best uh, distribution deals. So if it's a show that would do really well on Netflix and would suit a Netflix audience, then uh, making sure, number one, it does suit the audience it says it will suit and that it can also get distributed by the right people. Mindaroo Foundation, Nicola and Andrew Forrest Charity, they have started Mindaroo Pictures. So they're looking at supporting films that promote their initiatives. So they have initiatives tackling plastics and cancer and early childhood edu education. So they're looking at supporting films that really promote those messages uh, to a global audience. Uh, so that is quite an exciting initiative um, that's going on at Mindaroo and that will be led by Richard Harris who has been heavily involved in the film industry um, and has held positions like leading the South Australian Film Corporation and they have already supported a few projects um, including Tim Winton's Blueback. And of course, if you're Tim Winton and you have access to the Andrew Forrests and Adrian Finneys and Bill Beamants of the world, it's probably not easy, but it's probably achievable to get the funding that you'd need to get a film onto screen. The thing I found most fascinating about your article was those people who don't have quite as much access in the industry and look to alternative fundraising methods. Talk me through how other people are getting their films to screen. So local filmmaker Jordan Prince-Wright is a prime example of this. So he's a younger filmmaker and he has made his last three um, big feature film projects uh, without funding from Screen West. So his recent one that he is making at the moment called Before Dawn has been supported by a whole range of local organisations, um, including Chinese restaurants. Um, he received fuel from BP and Caltex. He received timber to build his sets. He was filming in Esperance and um, some people came down from the town to make sandwiches for everyone on set. So he's really got the whole community involved uh, in his film. Uh, it's also, his most recent project is also funded by um, museums, RSLWA and Rotary and Lions Clubs. And all up, he has gathered um, $7 million of in-kind support for the project, which is a mammoth amount of support, which is yeah quite impressive. Another good example uh, is Cody Greenwood, um, and she is she runs Rush Films, so she did receive Screen West funding and some other government funding for her documentary Under the Volcano, um, which features um, Sting and quite a lot of famous musicians from all around the world, and tells the story of Air Studios, uh, which was started by Beatles producer George Martin um, on an island in the Caribbean, um, which eventually is hit by multiple natural disasters and closes down but for a while it was a place where lots of um, popular musicians went to record their songs. She knew that this film would have an international audience 
So she went to Toronto to finance the film, um, where she knew uh, those people who could get her film to an international audience would be. And from that, she ended up scoring a distribution deal with Universal Pictures. She has said, though, that some of her other projects were more difficult to fund, especially when she was younger and just starting out, and also those projects which have quite niche subject matters. Miss Greenwood said that acquiring private funding was really dependent on the filmmaker's connection as well and also the interests of the investor and sort of the messages that they wanted to get out into the community and if they were passionate about certain issues. Niche as these subjects may be, I for one am very much looking forward to an interview with Sting in Under the Volcano. I might be the only one. I hope I'm not. Maddie, thanks so much. Thanks Jordan. Stay on top of the latest news stories that are impacting your business, industry or sector. The New Look Business News app gives subscribers breaking news alerts, access to e-editions, articles by category, as well as our advanced data and insights search function to find projects, people and companies. It's your mobile portal to the latest intelligence on commerce, politics and industry, wherever you are. Stay informed at critical times and download today. Visit businessnews.com.au slash app, download on the App Store or get it on Google Play now. This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium, now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. If you like what you've heard, head to our Spotify page to like and subscribe. New episodes of At Close of Business are available every day in time for our afternoon wrap. I'm Jordan Murray. See you tomorrow.